Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Thank you, Jesus. Glory be to God. You have your Bible out there. We're going to talk about Jesus. That okay with you? The title of our message is All About Jesus. All About Jesus. Now, someone were to ask you, what's the Bible all about? Someone might say, well, it's about, you know, the Hebrew people, the nation of Israel. As you look to the Old Testament. And then others might say, well, it's about the patriarchs of old or the prophets of old. Well, I know in the Old Testament it talks about Israel. I know it talks about the prophets of old. I know it talks about um, the patriarchs of old. Like you've got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You've got Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Ezekiel, and the list goes on and on. But really, is it about a nation? Really, is it about these individuals? The Bible, from beginning to the very end, is about one person. You might want to take a guess at what his name might be. Anyone here today know what his name is? Yes, his name is Jesus. From beginning to the very end of this holy book, it's all about one person, and his name is Jesus. Now, was there a nation involved? Oh, yeah. Uh, were there prophets involved? Oh, yeah. And were there... You could say patriarchs also that were included in this. Oh, sure. But they all pointed to one person, Jesus. Look at these scriptures in the book of Revelation with me. And don't take my word for it. Take his. And behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me. To give to every man according to his work. Or his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega. The first and last right? The beginning and the end, the first and the last. I, Jesus. Who's the alpha? Jesus. That's the beginning. Who's the end? Jesus, the omega. First and last of the Greek alphabet. First and last letters. And he's everything in between. I've sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches and the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and the morning star. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly, amen, even so come, Lord Jesus. So who are we talking about this morning? Jesus. And what is he? Who is he? The first and the last, and everything in between. This Bible is all about him. And notice in the book of Colossians, if you get anything out of my message here this morning, I want you to see this from the New Living Translation of the Bible because this will just enlighten all of us as to what this is all about. Paul the Apostle, you have to remember, was taught the gospel by Jesus Christ himself. He was against Jesus. He was against Christianity. He was destroying it. But Jesus got a hold of him. And Jesus sat him down. And Jesus talked to him about some things, and this is what he came up with. You ready for it? Christ is the invisible, it is the visible image of the invisible God. 
He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities and unseen in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all all who rise from the dead he is the first in everything for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him God reconciled everything to himself he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross this includes you who were once far away from God you were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ and the physical body as a result he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news the good news has been preached over all the world and I Paul have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it yeah. hallelujah glory to God as we say is that a mouthful or what so who is this Jesus? The beginning created everything that we know of in the seen world or the unseen world. Who is he? The head of the church. He's the beginning, the alpha. He's the end, omega. And he's coming again for us. Hallelujah. Matter of fact, the apostle Paul was so convinced that Look at this, what he said over here in Philippians. Because he thought everything he had learned unto this point was nothing but garbage compared to the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Here's what he said. What did he consider garbage? Well, let's read it. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight day old, days old. I am pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who, who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for his sake I have discarded everything else counting it at all as garbage so that I could gain Christ whoa wait a minute you wonder how impacting that should be you hear his credentials there you see where he came from a Pharisee of the Pharisee a Hebrew of the Hebrews considered that he kept the law to no, without a fault but he says, that is nothing, nothing compared to what Christ has done. And that's why it changed him so much so, everything about his life, that he could say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. 
I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith would not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What's he preaching? Just Jesus and him crucified. What's this life all about? Jesus and him crucified. What's the true message of the Bible? Jesus and him crucified, reconciling us to God by his precious blood when he died on Calvary and took that blood to the high court of heaven and paid your ransom and mine. That's what it's all about. And he was impacted in such a way that he left Judaism and he came to Christianity and he became the number one writer of all the New Testament books. He wrote most of the New Testament himself, empowered by the Spirit, because Jesus taught him the gospel message, and he taught him what to say. So you talk about leaving religion behind for reality. He left it behind for reality. Okay, the Old Testament is all about Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Everything about the Old Testament points to Jesus. Notice, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. What's that about? Jesus. Okay, but before we get there, we see the beginning of all things, and we see the perfect place that God placed Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, they reveal to us the perfect will of God for all mankind. It's like heaven on earth. Here is this crown of creation, crowned with glory and honor, placed in a beautiful place. It's like heaven on earth, and he's experiencing everything in that place that you could possibly desire or want to have, right? That was the will of God for man. There was no sin, no sickness, no disease, no mental anguish, no frustrations. None of those things existed in the garden. It was a perfect place. He had perfect fellowship with God, communion with God. God talked to him every single day in the cool of the day. They had sweet fellowship one with another. It was absolutely beautiful until chapter 3 comes along, and we find out that's when the devil did what he did, and that's what Eve did what she did, and that's what Adam did what he did. And because of what they did, what happened? They fell from God. They committed high treason. They were separated from God in spirit, and then soul and body were all also affected by the fall of man. And now they find themselves in a position where they're on the outside, they're looking in, and rather than having favor with God, now they have the very nature of Satan himself. They are separated from God, and they are on a spiral downward in their lives, that's leading to eternal separation from God. It's a horrible place for them to be in. But that's where they were. Well, God didn't leave man that way. And here's what happened in Genesis chapter 12. We talk about a nation. He had a plan. And that plan was to redeem mankind. But it would take a lot for him to do this. Even though he's God, it would still take a lot because he had to do it legally. So in Genesis chapter 12, beginning at verse 1 through 3, here's what we read. Now, the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, into a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great what? He's going to make a great nation out of him. Okay? And I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all Israel be blessed. What does it say? Oh, all families of the earth be blessed. Notice he's not just talking about blessing Israel. 
No, no, the whole plan, yes, he called a man named Abram. Yes, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yes, it was going to be Israel. Yes, it's going to be a nation, but it's going to be through the seed that comes into the world. Now, Genesis, we already read the seed of the woman. But now we see, look at Genesis, or look at Galatians chapter uh, 3 and verse 16. And if you can pull up 17, 18, and 19, I'd appreciate that. If not, that's okay. Now, to Abraham and his, what? Seed. Remember Genesis 3.15 said the seed of the woman? Okay. To Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not to seeds, plural, as of many, but as of one. And that seed is who? Christ. Okay. That seed is Christ. So back that up to verse 16 again, if you don't mind. Read that latter, latter part of that verse. The seed is Christ, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. The nation of Israel came into being, why? To bless the Hebrew people? No, to bring in the seed, to bring in the seed of the woman, the seed being Jesus, the woman being Mary. And so, he establishes a nation of people, not just to bless Hebrew, the Hebrew people, but he establishes a nation through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who became Israel, to bring in the seed who would bless all the families of the earth. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made, and he said, not to seed as many, but as one, as to thy seed, but as Christ. Verse 17. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the, the law, which was 430 years after. So how long after? 430 years after he made this promise. Okay. All right. Look what it says. Cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So... Now we see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now we see a nation called Israel and the Hebrew people. But also we see that because they couldn't do the right thing, they couldn't live right, that God sent Moses to bring them out of Egypt, right? And as a result, he gives them Ten Commandments and laws to follow. For what reason? To expose to them their sinful state and let them know you cannot serve me. You cannot do it on your own. You need a Savior. You need a Redeemer. And so the law was added 430 years later, but it cannot take away from the promise that God made to Abraham from the very beginning. So he makes this covenant with Abraham by promise and not by the living of the law. But once again, the law was given for what reason? To teach them of their sinful way and also to lead them to the cross. To show them that salvation is going to come, but it's going to come through the seed of the woman, Christ. Mary being the woman. Now, look at, um, I have these listed here for you so that we can see this. And I said that about the law for this reason, because everything that came by Moses and the law and the Levitical priesthood and all that, the old covenant, all the rituals that they had to go through, the sacrifices that they had to, the feasts that they had to keep, all those things that they did was not for a religious practice that would appease God. So that they could be a holy people set apart because of the works that they did, like make sure you do the Passover, make sure you practice the unleavened bread, okay? And I'm going to show you why. Because number one, the Passover is all about Jesus. They killed the lamb. They roasted it and ate it. But they took the blood and applied it to the doorpost and lintel of the house. 
And the only way there was protection from the death of the firstborn was going to be through blood covering your place. Beloved, if blood doesn't cover your life, how you are lost and you'll be submitted to death. But that's not speaking about that sacrificial lamb. That's not speaking about some religious rite. That is speaking about blood that was shed, but not by that lamb, but by the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So even all those rituals, all those feast days spoke of one person, and what's his name? Jesus. So we're going to be celebrating what we call Good Friday, right? Which is Passover, but it points to whom? Jesus. What's unleavened bread the next day? Unleavened bread is the death, the burial of Jesus after his death. And that's what that typified, so it spoke of Jesus. What's the next thing? The first fruits. What's the first fruits speak of? Not the religious practice, but the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So it spoke of Jesus. Pentecost came, and what's the day of Pentecost represent? Jesus coming back to the earth by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to come to you. How? In the person of the Holy Ghost. And he came on the day of Pentecost. And after that, we have the Feast of Trumpets. And what's the Feast of Trumpets? Just some religious practice? No, that's telling us that one day the clouds are going to split. He's going to come in the sky. This trumpet of sound is going to, be blow. It's going to blow. The shofar will be blown. And we will see the Lord High Priest, hallelujah, Jesus coming in the clouds. And we'll be caught up together and meet Him in the air. That's what that was about. And then what about the next one? The atonement. I thought, what about the atonement? It speaks of Jesus. The high priest had to go with his blood once a year to get a covering for their sin for the, for the whole year. Well, praise God, you and I got a high priest that entered into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, and he did not go with the blood of bulls or goats and heifers, but he went in with his own blood, and he obtained eternal redemption for every single one of us. Hallelujah. It spoke of Jesus. And then the Feast of Tabernacles. And what was that all about? That one day we would have a wonderful time tabernacling, tabernacling together? No. 1,000 year millennial reign of Christ, when he comes back to this earth, he's going to split the sky, he's going to split the uh, Mount of Olives, and he's going to set up his kingdom here upon this earth. And praise God, he's going to rule and reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and Prince of Peace upon this earth. So what I'm saying is the whole Old Testament does not point to Israel as a nation only. It's not talking just about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's put it all together. The whole thing is talking about one person. Jesus, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, and everything in between. So you want to understand the Old Testament? Say his name. Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Well, let's update it and come over to the New Testament. And in the New Testament, look at 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. Do you remember that verse in Genesis 3.15? The seed of the woman was going to bruise his head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Right? So, what's this all about? From the day that man separated himself from God, God set in motion a plan of redemption. And right there in that verse 3, chapter 3, verse 15 of Genesis, he said, the seed of the woman is going to bruise your head. You may bruise his heel, but he is going to bruise your head. A legal transaction took place. Satan became the god of this world. Madam, who, was the, who really was the god of this world under the leadership of the Lord, now all of a sudden becomes uh, submitted to 
the kingdom of darkness. He is now a slave in the kingdom of darkness and Satan rules over him with spiritual death. That verse in Genesis talked about that there's going to come a time. Oh, you may reign. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. And then we have the law. But there's coming a time when that seed of the woman comes into the earth and when he does, he will wreak havoc with the kingdom of darkness. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose was the Son of God manifested. For this purpose was the seed of the woman manifested. For this reason did the seed of the woman come into the earth. Into the world. Well, what was it? That he might destroy the works of the devil. That's why he came to destroy the works of the devil. So now we come into the New Testament and what do we find? We find that there was coming a time when he, the second person of deity, in the person of, of, through, through Mary's body, was going to have a body that he would live upon this earth and he would destroy the works of the devil. So in Galatians chapter 4, he told this to Paul. Look at what Paul says. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now let's stop just for a moment here. In the beginning, Adam and Eve had a decision to make, to either follow God or not, and they chose not to follow God. I believe had they passed the test from the very beginning, I'm not dogmatic about this, but I'm just going to throw it out to you to chew on for a while. I believe if they would have been obedient to do the will of God and show themselves faithful to God to submit their will to the will of God, they would have been eventually elevated to the place of sonship and heirship. But they didn't do it. They were made as perfect human beings, but they had to pass the test, and they didn't pass the test. So it became offspring of their father, Jesus said, the devil, right? But God's intended purpose was to have a family. God's dream was to have a family of beings made in his own image, in his own likeness, that he could share everything with. But you see, he failed the test. And it didn't happen. And the father's dream for a family was shattered. But how many of you know that God is never going to be defeated? Those scriptures said, now look, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son to this earth through Mary. And he came for what purpose? To redeem us from our fallen state. For what reason? So that we could become the sons and daughters of the Most High God. So we can be elevated to the place He wanted Adam to be elevated to from the very beginning. That's why the Bible says if you're in Christ, you are a new creation that never before existed. Something took place in your spirit. God gave birth to us and God adopted us to such an extent that Look, a twofold part of the family of God. We were born of His Spirit and we were adopted by Him into the family. So we are twice the sons and daughters of the Most High God so that from our hearts we can cry out what? Abba, Father. Abba is a term of endearment. Abba means Daddy. Think about that term of endearment. 
but think about it with respect. I know I'm going to tell my son here this morning when I say this, but my son Dante, I think, has expressed to me, all Carly has to do is call you daddy. <laughs> my daughter Carly, all she has to do is say, daddy. And he says, I, I watch you melt like puddle, right, just right there. What, honey, what can I do for you, sweetheart? I admit it. I, ad I admit it, son. But I do for you, too. All right. <laughs> but do you see that? This is hard to grasp. I understand. But I want you to think it clearly through. We don't just know God in a distance. We're not part of this family, but not really really part of it socially or in a close fellowship. Really? Beloved, now are we the sons of God and it does not yet appear what we shall be. Behold what manner of love the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God and we can cry, Daddy. Daddy. Abba, Father. Oh, what a plan. When the fullness of time came, he sent his son, born of a woman, the seed that would destroy the works of Satan and make it possible for us to be reconciled back to God and elevated to a higher place than Adam was from the very beginning because now are we the sons of God, not just servants of the Most High God. Yes, we serve as, as, as sons on this earth, but our relationship is what? Father-son relationship. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank God for what Jesus did. Now, what was the reason he came? Redemption. But I want you to see this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. We're talking about the New Testament now points to one person. And what's his name? It points to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I'll be honest with you. Today, we need to hear our preaching more about Jesus and his blood. Because that's what this is all about. Knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways, inherited from your father, forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Jesus was sent, praise God, to redeem us, to pay the ransom price that, that was owed, to pay humanity's death. The sin of high treason that was committed by Adam had to be paid for, and it could not be paid for with the wealth that this world has to offer. It doesn't matter what your name is. It could be Bill Gates. It could be whatever, whoever, who's got all the money in the world. You could be the owner of the entire world and all that in them is and never have enough to buy our ransom and pay the price that was that that we owed that humanity owed God as a result of high treason. So he sent his son who came and the reason why his blood is so precious is because his body housed the only blood that could possibly pay the ransom that you and I owed. But thanks be unto God, hallelujah, he sent Jesus and Jesus paid the price for you and he paid the price for me. Now, we know that Jesus has many titles and many names. 
we talk about him as being Lord and we recall that he's the master over all things. We talk about him as being our shepherd and we recall that he is the one, our shepherd, we shall not want, who cares for us and, and provides for us and so on. We talk about him as Savior and we thank God he saved us from our sins, right? But also we call him Redeemer. What a name. Because when we talk about the name Redeemer, we are talking about recalling the one who saved us, but we recall the sacrifice, the price, the cost that he paid for us to be liberated from the slave market of sin and from the kingdom of darkness. See, we think about what he did and the suffering that he suffered. And so when we say, yes, he's my redeemer, and I know my redeemer liveth, we're talking about, yes, he cares for us. Yes, he's Lord over all things. But now I focus my attention on the fact that he went to a cross. He suffered and he died. He became sin. He became sickness. He became mental anguish. He became the curse. The full breath of God was placed upon him for you and for me. He took it all upon himself, praise God. And he, he died a horrific death that you and I will never, never understand until I believe we get on the other side in glory. And I can only pray that one day, that everything he did will be captured for us on a DVD and God pushes, places it right there before us for all to see all that he took upon himself, how he became sin, how he became the curse, how he became mental anguish, how be, he became separated from the Father and that, that goes beyond even words or comprehension and the, the wrath of God that fell upon him, it wasn't the, wrath, it, the, the Roman lictor's stripes that, that healed us, it was the stripes that the Father God placed upon him for every single one of us he became sin for us who knew no sin that we could be free and be made the righteousness of God in Christ. You see, it's all about Jesus. You know why? Because religion cannot save us. Matthew, you don't believe it? Matthew 5 and verse 20, religion cannot redeem us from our fallen state. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Huh. The scribes and the Pharisees stand for what? Organized religion in the world. Judaism was an organized religion. They were doing everything that God told them to do. But he was trying to tell them what you're doing is not enough for you to do. As a matter of fact, what you're doing is pointing not to you. It's pointing you to someone else because you can't do it. So religion cannot do it. And I'm sorry to say it, but there's many in the world today that believe by being religious you can make heaven well you know what we can't you can be as religious as you want you'll never make heaven because it is not enough to redeem you then there are those that think and I'll just be good I talked to people that said this before if I'm just good enough I don't hurt anybody I don't harm anybody I do good deeds I do good works well look at Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6 and what it says our good deeds our good works are not enough to redeem us from our fallen state if that were the case there would have been no need to send Jesus but we all we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. There is nothing a man can do this side of heaven apart from Jesus Christ that could save his sin-sick soul. There's nothing that we could do by way of works that could redeem us from our fallen state. It's an impossibility. And so... What is he saying? Except your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, and they were the religious sects of the day. 
You're not going to be saved, so you need that righteousness that goes beyond that. It's not found in good works. That's not going to happen because of our good works, because our works are like filthy rags. But then also, we understand that false saviors cannot possibly redeem us. Look at 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. And there are many in the world today. Some are really disguised, I guarantee you, like wolves in sheep's clothing. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. We are living in a dangerous world, in a dangerous time right now. We've got people spewing out things, even on television shows and broadcast and, and all talk shows and all that. And they'll tell you, there are many ways that you can get to heaven, uh, false prophet. Oh, there's, there's other ways. We have to respect all religions because all religions lead to the one same God. A false prophet. That is not true. Why? Because the only one that has the proper credentials to determine what life, death, and eternity are all about, his name is Jesus Christ. And what are his credentials? He made heaven and earth and sea and all that in them is. He made every visible thing and every invisible thing. He's the one that brought into being all things. He had holds all things, he sustains all things, he propels all things, and to prove that he is who he said he was, to prove that there was not a big bang theory or something like that, to prove that man does not come from animals, we did not emerge out of the sea by some accident, to prove it all, he said, you watch me, you kill me, you take my life, you put me in the tomb, you put me in the grave, and I'm telling you on the third day I will rise from the dead and you will see me again and I will be alive forevermore. Hallelujah. If you're going to believe somebody, that's who you're going to believe. Not some intellectual who doesn't know anything. And finally, only the blood. Only the blood. Only the blood of Jesus can redeem a sin-sick soul. Look in the book of Hebrews. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Tons of blood, animal blood, has been shed over the years. The Israelites, all the rituals, the sacrificial lambs, every year that they had to kill these lambs for the Passover, millions and millions and millions and gallons and gallons and gallons of blood shed to appease God. And guess what he said? Can't do it. Mm -mm. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Go on down to verse 22. And almost all things are by law purged with blood and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be pured, purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, but which are the figures of the truth, but unto heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. It's not hard to understand.
Year after year after year after year after year after year, the blood of bulls, the blood of goats, the blood of pigeons and turtle doves, they kept offering up as sacrifices and taking the blood and high priest would take it in and he would, on the day of atonement, provide by shedding the blood and using the blood all the millions and billions of gallons of blood that was presented to God and the earth made holy of holies could never, never, never save a sin-sick soul. It could never redeem us. What was it there for? Just to let us know. You need redeemed. Not with silver, not with gold, not with any earthly treasure. There is something more precious, so precious, it would cost God the Father His very Son's life blood in order to redeem us from our fallen state and reconcile us back to God. And all things in heaven and earth would be reconciled. How? By one sacrifice. So when He entered in, when He entered in, you know where Adam and Eve got the boot out? They were kicked out from the presence of God so they wouldn't go to that tree of, the, of life, right? So they were kicked out. Cherubim and seraphim were placed there before the very tree of life. Ark of the Covenant, you couldn't get near the very holy, holiest place of all. You'd die too holy. Jesus on resurrection morning entered the high court of heaven and where the first Adam was booted, the last Adam came and stood there. I don't know if he had to introduce himself or anything like that. But I guarantee you when he stood there, and there were those cherubim and seraphim with the flaming swords doing their duty and all that. And he stood there. He said, look, now the first Adam failed. And he was banished from this place. And I know there's only one way to get back in so that man can be reconciled back to God. I know billions of gallons of blood have been shed in order to appease the living God, but I know that that wasn't the price that the high court of heaven was looking for. And so the Father sent me to do what no man on earth could possibly do, and so here I am, and I'm coming. I want you to know something right now. This blood is not of a bull or a goat or a turtle or a pigeon or a turtle dove or a pigeon or any of that. This is my blood. And I want access to the very mercy seat of God. Because it's right now a judgment seat. But when I get done with it, boys, it's going to be a mercy seat. So step aside. Get out of my way. Because I'm coming in. And I'm coming in. And I'm going to sprinkle my blood like the earth high priest did. But I'm not of the earth. I am the son of God. And he sprinkled it upon the mercy seat. The heavenly utensils of worship. He cleansed it all. So that God could legally redeem you and me back to Him. And pierce our conscience to make us serve the living God faithfully with our lives. That's what Jesus did with His precious blood. Hallelujah. Now, the blood speaks. You ready for it? Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. The blood speaks. And please, you understand when I say this, in no way am I showing any disrespect to the nation of Israel and all that God did through Israel. But I think even in today's culture, it seems like as though the people are more gravitating towards, well, all that that took place back then. We appreciate all that. And we thank God for all that. But the New Testament says, okay, they did their part. Now the time came when they could have accepted it 
or rejected it. And what did they do? Don't be timid on me. They rejected it, did they not? He came to his own in his own. He said, I would have taken you under my wings, but you would not. So, I'm going to have to go to the Gentiles. The Italians and the Greeks and the, and the Polish. and the, I mean, let's just go on and on and on. I'm going to go to them and you're going to get jealous. Because when you see what I do with them, you're going to want what, what, what they have. Okay. We're not coming to the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire nor into blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice that they heard entreated that the words should not be spoken to them anymore, talking about Mount Sinai, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. We didn't come, we don't come to the law Mount Sinai and all that God did then. That we've come to Mount Sion under the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to the God, to God the judge of all the earth, to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel's. Did you know blood speaks? Blood has a voice. And listen to the voice of Abel's blood. You want to hear it? Let's read Genesis chapter 4 and 8 through 11. And Cain talked with Abel his brother and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not Listen to these words. Am I my brother's keeper? He's talking to God. Like that. Really, Cain? Where are your manners, buddy? Am I my brother's keeper? What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood cries unto me from the ground. And now... Art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand? And of course, you know he was under a curse. As a vagabond, he lived for the rest of his life. But my point I'm making is that blood speaks. His blood was speaking out for vengeance, and God saw to it that he got it. Right? Well, the blood of Jesus, we're told, speaks better things than the blood of Abel's. It speaks better things than the blood of bulls and goats and heifers and all that. So what does it speak? The blood of Jesus, number one. It speaks of life. In John chapter 6 and verse 63, it speaks of life. Look at this. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. We're not talking about being carnivorous. He's not talking about taking, taking some of his blood from his veins and drinking. He's talking about drinking from the fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains. He's talking about saying, nothing can wash away my sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. He is saying, I accept the fact that my life can't save me, but his life blood can save me. And so I'm receiving the... 
redemption that I have by the blood of the Lamb. Number two, it speaks of justification. Look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 9. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. You know what justification means? Made right in the sight of God. I want you to know that no one else's blood can make us right in the sight of God. I want you to know that your grandmother lived and she was a fine Christian, but her blood can never make you right in the sight of God. I want you to know that your father, your mother, whoever lived right before God, and thank God for their life, their death, and their blood that was shed, and, and all, but they can never make you right with God. I want you to know that they might be a good preacher, teacher, whatever of the, of the Word of God, when they die, their blood can never make you right with God. No animal blood can make you right with God. No preacher can make you right with God. No prophet can make you right with God. But there's somebody I know whose blood was shed, praise God, whose blood can make you right with God just as if you never sinned. And it's not Abel's. It's not Abraham's. It's not Isaac's. It's not Jacob's. Whose is it? Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Thirdly, sanctification. Hebrews, once again. Sanctification. His blood speaks of sanctification, which means to set one apart. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. He sanctified us with his own blood. Sanctification is a twofold work in the life of a believer. Number one, you have positional sanctification. In Christ, you have been set apart, sanctified as if you have never sinned or rebelled against God in any way, shape, form, or fashion, and you've got that position in your in your heart on the inside you've been sanctified set apart praise god properly meet for the master's use but then secondly it's also not only positional but it's practical in other words we play it out we live it out and so we're sanctifying ourselves cleansing ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness and the fear of god so the life on the inside we get it to come to the outside right that's that's what it's all that's what sanctification is all about but don't get your eyes off the fact that you're already sanctified in Christ Jesus by His precious blood. You are set apart for God. God has taken you out of the miry clay. He puts you over here in His kingdom and said, you're set apart for me. And He won't ever let you go. Next one. Praise God. Number four, cleansing. Oh, thank God for the cleansing blood of Jesus. And let's read it. In the book of uh, Revelation, I said unto him, sir, Thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Ladies, let me ask you a question. When you put a red garment in with the white laundry, what happens to the white laundry? It gets pink. Right? But when you take a sin-sick soul and you wash it with the blood of Jesus Christ, hallelujah, it becomes whiter than snow. Have you been washed in the blood? Have you been cleansed in the blood? Has your robe of your own righteousness been washed with the toga virilla, which is the blood, the righteousness of God in Christ? Oh, thank God for the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. And the next one is communion or fellowship. And let's look at 1 Corinthians 10 verse 16. And this is from the Amplified. The cup of blessing of wine at the Lord's Supper upon which we ask God's blessing. Does it not mean that in drinking it we participate and share a fellowship, a communion in the blood of 
Christ, the Messiah, the, the bread which we break, does it not mean that in eating it we participate in and share a fellowship, a communion in the body of Christ? You know what those two means? Those two things mean when I partake of the, the cup, I am partaking of the, the cleansing blood of Jesus that it makes me whiter than snow. When I partake of the flesh, praise God, of the, of the Lamb of God, His healing powers are manifested in my body, in my life. And so we see here the blood of Jesus cleanses and makes whole any sin-sick soul. We need to tell that to the world. You can't get clean any other way. And then the next one, uh, I love this one. We use it all the time. It speaks of victory. It speaks of victory. Look at here in the book of Revelation, in chapter 5, or chapter 12 rather, and verse 11, and they overcame him, how? By the blood of the Lamb, and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. How did he overcome the enemy? How did he overcome the devil, the demons, and all the spirits of darkness that are out there? By the blood of the Lamb and the word. You know what that means, the word of their testimony? That they testified to the blood of Jesus with, from their heart, with their mouth. And they said, you know what, devil, you think you got something on me? I'll tell you something right now. There's a bloodline around me. There is a, I'm washed in the blood. I'm cleansed by the blood. I'm made whole by the blood, sanctified by the blood. I am justified by the blood. I've got fellowship with God by the blood of the Lamb. I want you to know something right now. I'm not going by what's in my blood, but I'm going by the blood of the Lamb. And so I'm overcoming you by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. I testify to every truth of the new covenant because it belongs to me. And then, finally, it speaks of what? Redemption, chapter 5, Revelation, verse 8 and verse 9. Look what it says. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders shot down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and loose the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed Israel only. Has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Did you get that? The blood of Jesus is all sufficient for every kindred, every tongue, every people, every nation. It doesn't matter who, you're, who you are, what your background is, what your nationality is, your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter what your gender is. It doesn't matter anything. Wherever we've come from on this planet, there's only one thing that can wash away our sin. And what is it? The blood of Jesus. And so what's the Bible all about? It's all about Jesus who was sent to the earth to reconcile us to God the Father by the precious blood that He was shed upon Calvary. His blood is so precious because without His precious blood, every single one of us would be lost throughout eternity and spend our existence in a lake of fire where there's nothing but uh, fire and brimstone and nothing good about it. 